Welcome to A Wild New Work, a podcast about how to take wise, soul-centered action in your work life, all based on the wisdom of nature. I'm Megan Leatherman, a mother to two small kids, coach, writer, and amateur ecologist living in the Pacific Northwest, and I'm your host today. Hi friend and welcome. I'm so glad that you are here, so honored that we get to share this space together. Today I'm bringing you a conversation that I had with my friend, former client, future co-conspirator Heather Dorfman about her journey from decades of social work and nonprofit work into her own very unique forest therapy and consulting business. And I wanted to bring Heather to you all because, one, I just really admire the person that she is and the way that she sees the world and inhabits the world, but also because her process was just full of fortitude and really humility, and and this will all come through as she tells you her story, but I think it's a testament to the power of really rooting into the natural cycles, the cycles of our bodies, the plants and animals right around us, and what that can show us about who we are and where we're meant to go next on our paths. And I really learned a lot from working with Heather and continue to learn from her, and I'm so excited to bring her unique perspectives and her story to you today. So let me tell you just a little bit about our guest, Heather. Heather Dorfman is a queer, white, Ashkenazi, Jewish, cis femme animist living in Portland, Oregon with her partner, child, and animal companions. As a certified guide with the Association of Nature and Forest Therapy, she now leads people into the woods, or their own home or backyard, (laughs) to remember what our ancestors knew that our true selves are both much larger and also much smaller than our human bodies. In addition to being a certified forest therapy guide, Heather is certified in conflict resolution and mediation and in wilderness first aid, and is licensed as an LMSW. She carries over 20 years of experience accompanying people during and after crisis, loss, trauma, and grief. So in this conversation, Heather and I talk through the intricacies of her transition out of nonprofit social work and into her own real calling as a forest therapy guide. We talk about some of the unique challenges that come with working in the nonprofit sector and how Heather really reconciled leaving and what her relationship to that work is like now. We also talk about how Heather is bringing forward her ancestry, her commitment to justice, and her really deep relationship to the earth into her work now. So it's a very rich conversation, and I hope that you love it. Before I bring us into our opening invocation and into the conversation I had with Heather, I want to let you know that Heather will be leading a forest therapy session at an upcoming retreat I'm offering. This summer solstice on June 21st, I'm offering an all-day retreat about the themes of spring and crossing into summer and really becoming summer in our working life with ritual and activities and discussion and a whole host of modalities, we will be exploring what it's like to come into fullness in our working lives, what it's what is coming into fruition, where we do have mastery, where the bright light of us and of consciousness is shining and how that wants to inform our deep like soul level work that needs to be done in this world. So this is the first time in many years that I will be leading something like this in person. We will be at Oxbow Regional Park right alongside the Sandy River in an old growth forest outside for over nine hours together, really exploring these themes in an embodied way. And I would love to have you if this feels like it could be useful to you. The cost is $2.95 and there are payment plans and scholarships available and you can learn all about the retreat at awildnewwork.com slash summer dash retreat or at the link in the show notes. I also want to let you know about a little shift in podcast cadence for the spring season. You might have noticed that this episode is coming out 
up about a month since the last one rather than every two weeks and that is intentional. Um, I am learning about some new uh, needs that my body is having after three plus, you know, three years of this pandemic and having my second child. And I just need a little space to kind of recenter, store up my energy again and see where that takes me. See if a summer book wants to be born. You might know that I published a, a book about the winter this last January. I think I'm recovering from that and also want to make some space to see if another book wants to come through. So this March, April, and May I will be publishing monthly interviews with some amazing people um, just like the one I'm sharing with you today with Heather. So with that let's do our opening invocation and dive in. So wherever you are, just finding your breath, noticing your body in time and space. May each of us be blessed and emboldened to do the work we're meant to do on this planet. May our work honor our ancestors, known and unknown, and may it be in harmony with all creatures that we share this earth with. I express gratitude for all of the technologies and gifts that have made this possible and I'm grateful to the Cowlitz and Clackamas tribes, among many others, who are the original stewards of the land that I'm on. Okay, hi Heather, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk with you. Me too, yeah. So I think it would be great if we could start with getting a little bit of background on your working journey. You know, we started together in 2022 when you kind of ended a long tenure in social services work and um, not to say that it's the end of that for you, but there was a definite like ending point when we started. Mm -hmm. But can you fill us in on sort of where you were before that, kind of the like work environments you've been in, the roles you've been in, just what your working life has been like? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So as you said, it was many, many years of um, doing social work, um, both work that was kind of more focused on community-based practice, community organizing, working uh, with folks experiencing homelessness and poverty, and also work that involved um, working alongside and supporting folks who had experiences of grief and trauma. Um, and often, of course, all of that weaves together. Um, so I spent many years uh, working with an organization that was um, centered around folks experiencing homelessness. And it was uh, very focused on both um, organizing to end the systemic harms of the criminalization of homelessness and poverty and also creating a space where people could come in and build community and share care and support um, and be nourished in all the ways from food to relationship. Um, after years of being part of that organization, I went on to work with grieving children and families. And sometimes people were surprised and felt like there was some, that that seemed different. Um, but what was really similar about those organizations is there was a real focus on working alongside and in collaboration with people. So there was no sense of staff or anyone else's experts. Uh, it was really, how do we support each other and create a space for you to find what you need? And then uh, from there, I moved to an organization that was focused on youth homelessness. Um, and I worked mostly with our maybe not mostly, but a significant portion of the folks I worked with were queer and trans youth uh, who were experiencing crisis and homelessness often related to that identity. And again, a real emphasis both organizationally and always for me on working alongside these people who knew best what they needed and knew best what was wrong in their lives and it wasn't them. And often it wasn't even about their families, it was about these systems that create harm. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the through line is, is working very much in partnership with people. Mm -hmm. So you had a lot of experience in like direct care and then mm -hmm. also in your last role, you were also in the sort of management leadership right. position. Is that right? Right. Yeah. So in that organization, I came in, um, doing some kind of youth 
advocacy and mentoring and also family mediation. And then I moved into a program manager role. And I was in that role in the program for some time before I came to the realization that it was no longer sustainable for me. And I remember when we started in like the spring of 2022, you were, I don't remember what was happening like in your astrology or or any of that, but like you went through some major, it was not only like the job change, you were also moving homes. And Mm -hmm. like, I remember just, there was a lot of change in a very short period Mm -hmm. of time. Um, But how did you, what were some of the like signs or, um, yeah, I guess signs that you were getting from your body or your intuition that this was not just the end of this job, but it was time for like a really meaningful break and like recalibration of your whole life kind of yeah. identity. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. How did you know it was that? Yeah. Yeah. I really, really struggled with that and grappled with that. Um, what I was experiencing, I, I, I was seeing, I wasn't sleeping. Um, I was in a constant state of, you know, I look back and it's sort of like intense activation or anxiety, you know, kind of both and all of those things. Um, I'd feel a sense of honestly, just a sense of dread about going to work. And also work was just constantly on my mind and heart. Uh, The program is a 24 seven program. So even if I wasn't actively working, I knew that the program was was running and my and staff that I was supervising were working and participants were seeking services. So there was no way I could ever completely put it down. And I recognized, uh, you know, the, the work that I was doing and had done for so many years, deeply connected with uh, mental health and, you know, how to support people in being as well as they could and wanted to be again within systems that create so much harm and I was recognizing all these signs in myself of really impacted that my my mental health was really suffering I had had experiences in the past uh, around long years of insomnia and I knew how significant of of a really negative impact that could have on me and I was seeing how it was in fact impacting my relationships with my family and my friends and my ability to do anything outside of work. And so as I saw that happening, and I also began to really, really struggle with the ways that the organization I was part of because of its role in larger systems was not always able to enact the values that were stated and that I feel people truly believed in, um, but I was seeing the way staff were feeling those effects as well uh, around the expectations placed on them of coming into work, even if they didn't feel they were able to either physically or emotionally or mentally, you know, the, all of these things were coming together. And I was realizing I was forcing myself to stay in a role and feel like I could muscle my way into making it work for me and for my staff and for participants. And I wasn't, I couldn't be effective in that because it was, it's a setup, (laughs) not because anybody's setting out to do that, but because we are operating within capitalism and white supremacy. And this is how things so often work. And so I came to know that my mental health and relationship suffering wasn't actually benefiting anybody and that I had to do something really different, although it was incredibly hard to come to that decision. Yeah. Thank you for highlighting what it's like to be one piece of a larger organization movement. Um, I think that's one of the unique difficulties, just like in my role, supporting people who do work that is more social justice related you know, there are so many nonprofits doing like vital, really important work. And, you know, I, I haven't read a lot, but there's this good book called the revolution will not be funded Mm -hmm. by insight women of color against violence. And it goes into detail about how, you know, these foundations that are often, you know, well-funded through extraction and capitalism, then Mm -hmm. hold these like 
the reins around who gets money for what and why. And there's all these ridiculous gateways and, and also like the people trying to access services, like just fucking give people the money. There's all these gates, you know, that everyone has to try to get through and, and staff at nonprofits, in my experience, sort of get eaten up inside Mm -hmm. of that, that like, Mm -hmm. again, like you said, I don't think it's intentional, but Mm -hmm. I think there is a uniquely manipulative bent sometimes to nonprofits that mm-hmm. like you should be happy to do the work and be mm-hmm. underpaid because you sh- you're a good person. You should be yeah. a good person and just do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really unfortunate and um, yeah, just a whole big paradox and it's not really mm-hmm. clear like what to do about it. But I think mm-hmm. you're really, you are and we're really wise to recognize that you weren't going to change that and that nothing is worth like our physical autonomy and well-being. And, mm-hmm. you know, we don't need to sort of die at the hands of these causes that are very, very important. And people mm-hmm. are literally dying. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. It's just not as, it's not as simple as like, you need to give mm-hmm. your life to this work, mm-hmm. you know? Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, anything you want to add about that, just like people sort of in the mix of these nonprofit environments? Yeah, I mean, I think the thing, there's so many pieces to this, and I think we could talk for hours about this particular piece, because so often those of us that are drawn to this work, it is because we so deeply care about justice and liberation, and we want to be part of creating a world that truly cares for all beings that are in that world. And we're drawn to it also so often because we've had our own experiences of pain and trauma. Um, And, you know, what I saw in in this organization is so many people and, and honestly, many, many black, brown and indigenous people, queer and trans folks coming together because they cared so passionately about uh, the young people that had been them sometimes five, 10, 20 years before. And, And that was true for me as well. And so on the one hand, that's incredibly powerful to have that representation and that people with lived experience were doing this work. On the other hand, when harm happens, it's happening to people who've already, and when we're speaking of staff specifically, it's happening to people who've already experienced harm. And so I think it is incredibly challenging. And it's one of those pieces of where do you begin to unravel the knot? And really it's how do we completely dismantle capitalism and white supremacy and all other forms of oppression and continue to build another world. And in the meantime, here we are with people needing these services because we do live within the current systems. Um, And so I began to see that and believe that there could be other ways that I could do that work of building the world that I want to see and live in. And I want for every, every human and every other being in this world. Um, and that this was not it anymore and that I couldn't do that well anymore uh, and in alignment with my values. Yeah, I think sometimes we get locked into thinking that there's only one certain way to, you know, foster or build that new world or take care of people. And it has Mm -hmm. to be this type of job or that type Mm -hmm. of organization. But we need all people on all in all environments and all workplaces sort of moving in this way. Um, it doesn't just have to be nonprofits or direct care. So you decided to leave. And mm-hmm. then what were like, what do you remember about the first couple of months after leaving? Like, I find that, <laughs> I mean, your nervous system is totally changing. Like, what do you remember about that kind of recalibration period? Yeah. I mean, it was a huge recalibration period. As you said, we, we moved like literally the same weekend. That was my last day at work. Uh, we also moved into a new home and I had just finally reached out to you and said, you know, can we start working together? And then after I reached out is when I finally decided, yes, I'm going to leave this job. And it's almost like that was the catalyst I needed <laughs> was reaching out to you to, to kind of do that push. Um, and I remember there were, t- like, there was a couple of different times I wasn't able to even make a meeting we had scheduled because I was still in that position and so overwhelmed. So then I left that position and then suddenly this work that I had been doing for decades in different forms was just gone. Um, And I was really adrift 
even though, you know, there were plenty of ways I was filling up my time. I was doing little jobs of different kinds here and there. I was volunteering. I was uh, doing even the little consulting and training, but kind of my core, what had been sort of my core purpose and way of making meaning and feeling like I was giving value, contributing value to the world was just suddenly gone. <laughs> and I was, I was very, it was really confusing. Um, and I also realized, I mean, I kind of knew that part would be there, but the part that I didn't as much notice or have the space to think about was that suddenly the built-in community that is part of working in an organization and that you have every single day was just gone. And I had spent, you know, every single day for years and years and years working alongside people, both participants and staff and volunteers, and really constantly just digging into the work we were doing and into bigger questions of the world at large and having laughter and jokes and crying together and, you know, all the things that happen when you work with people. And especially, I mean, I guess I don't know this for sure, but I feel like something about working in this very, you know, mission driven way that brings people with uh, similar values together, that suddenly that was gone from my everyday. And it was really disorienting. And I, yeah, it was very confusing. I felt very like, wait, how does life work now? When, where do I put my energy and time and who am I? All, all, all the big questions were coming up through that period. I remember we had some discussions about, and this is, this happens for a lot of people that we, we leave the thing and then we sort of notice it's not usually just wide open time. I find mm -hmm. most people kind of fill the time yeah. again, yeah. <laughs> just with different things. Like it's not a job, but um, I remember we talked about like how it's hard to give yourself intentional open space. That's not mm -hmm. about, you know, this consulting gig or unpacking mm -hmm. or painting that room or whatever it is and how it seemed like as you got farther from the leaving, it seemed like that became easier for you that like things kind of normalized and you did find rhythms of like needing to get outside and intentional time mm -hmm. in your garden, like things that were life giving, but not necessarily mm -hmm. productive in the same ways that they had, they had been, where it didn't feel like you had this huge to-do list all day, every day. Is that accurate mm -hmm. or was that just my perception? I think so much of the work that we did together was really unpacking those things that I had deeply <clears throat> come to. Yeah, they were just deeply inside of me uh, around that my worth was tied to the work I did in the world and the job I did. And even though I had, you know, long had a critique of capitalism and, and worked alongside folks who taught me every day how deeply flawed and terrible that system is, that still was very uh, embedded in me, um, partly from growing up in a family of white working class folks who you went to work no matter what, no matter how sick you were, no matter what. And I value that on the one hand, I really value their commitment to hard work and that they modeled that for me. And also I see how deeply just the, the pain that that can cause and the real like illness and all of the other things that can come from that. So having lived in that model for so long, and then suddenly I, again, like where, where is my worth and how am I contributing to this world? So yeah, a to-do list. And also I'm a Capricorn and Virgo and Pisces, but often the Capricorn and Virgo are like, you got to be working, you got to be producing, you got to show what you're, what are you doing with your time? Um, <clears throat> so a to-do list that you're checking off feels like a thing that you're doing and, and contributing. And so, yeah, I really struggled to open up some space and it was very much with your work or your support and us working together that I was able to realize there is real meaning in being outside with trees and being in my garden and going for a walk with my kid, um, doing all of these things that every human should have the right to and the space to do, uh, but that, that, that again, in living into the world that I think we're trying to create, or at least some of us are trying to create, 
living that now and still doing the hard work and the crucial, absolutely uh, essential work to address the systems of harm and create something new. So not letting that go and me having a to-do list and being constantly quote unquote productive is not creating that new world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I felt like you were really open to this being like a larger life identity shift. I don't know. I mean, open Mm -hmm. and it seemed like the universe was just like, you will do this. (laughs) Um, But I remember one thing that was helpful. And I know, I know that many people don't feel like they can take extended time from work or earning an income and um, by your own choices and also what you've been given in your life, like did create, Mm -hmm. you created significant space for yourself, which is really Mm -hmm. special. Again, something all people should have. And Yeah. Just because not all people have it doesn't mean we can't take it if it's available to us. Mm-hmm. But one thing I remember is that your process lined up really beautifully with the summer. And I remember, mm-hmm. I think, I think you were looking at job postings yeah. and getting kind of stressed. And, <laughs> and I felt like in the, where we were in the process, like it just wasn't, and I could see like you were not, it just wasn't resonating, you know, yeah. and, and you're, I didn't get the sense that you had sort of grounded and not, not that I'm the expert, just that my sense was like, you needed a little more re nourishing. Mm -hmm. And so I remember we agreed to that you would just sort of take the summer and like Mm -hmm. something about that seasonal anchor. I don't know if this was your Mm -hmm. experience, but it seemed like just permission to take that whole season to not need to figure everything out or apply Mm -hmm. for another job that your openness to that and the extension of that time And then there are a few things that sort of came up as pathways that you explored, Mm -hmm. but something about that declaration of permission seemed to like change the energy around Mm -hmm. your journey. And then something really beautiful, like could come through later in that Mm -hmm. season. Mm -hmm. Um, Could you talk a little bit about some of the like anchors or things that nourished you like in that kind of open just exploration, like I don't want to say too much because I don't want to take it out of your <laughs> words, but um, what were some of the things that started to make sense again? Yeah. Yeah. Well, just to go back briefly to address kind of the first piece of what you said that, yes, it was really hard for me to not just be like, okay, well, I should just find a new job, even if it's part-time, even if it's, you know, and I was doing this work, like some of the consulting and training and also a small gig that I had found through a freelance website, you know, and that, that still continued through even that sort of pause time, but really feeling like, but I need like a job. And like, I think so many people who grow up either poor or working class, you know, I had started working at 15 and then it was jobs and work the whole rest of the way. So being without an official, you know, fuller time job felt again, like I felt very unanchored and I did get into kind of that thing of like, well, if I just find a thing, then it'll feel good. And I think, yeah, working with you and really creating space to kind of say, how about set some, you know, parameters around it of it's not going to be forever, but how about just a pause? And again, to, to speak to what you mentioned, I do have so much privilege in that because I sold a house, I had some funds for my house. My partner makes a wage that allowed us to live from her wage. Um, and there were these ways that thanks to white privilege and other things that I did have funds. And through that, I realized I could also be contributing funds more regularly, acting in reparations and redistribution of funds. And so I could do those things alongside each other. And that through being at home, and giving myself this pause, I could cook home cooked meals more. I could do these other things that saved, you know, I wasn't driving every single day far to a, to and from a job. Um, my kiddo didn't have to be in after school care as much, you know, so we could save some funds as well that way. But really to come back to, it was having some parameters around like, okay, we're going to, I'm going to have this chunk of time. It's not forever where I'm going to have more spaciousness. And through that, really working with you um, in your constant encouragements, both in our one-to-one work and in the other sort of courses and, and guidance that you lead through writings and so on around 
really allowing myself to hear the things that were arising that were these kind of um, glimmers of interest and passion that in the past would have been like, yeah, 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 that sounds really cool. Hanging out with trees a lot. Sure. I love trees. That sounds great. I got work to do or sitting down and creating, whether it's, you know, making some art or creating some earrings or knitting or, you know, these other ways we might create like, yes, that's great. And I will fit that in around the real stuff and the real stuff being the job, which again, I hear this and I'm like, ah, that's so antithetical to what I, I think I deeply believe, but layered on top of that was all this other bullshit. So for you to constantly get that encouragement of listen to those little glimmers and those little sparkles. And I think, and I was talking with someone about this recently, that I think there's a lot of fear there in listening to those because on the one hand, we've been taught like some of those like taught that that's trivial or it's unrealistic. And you're not like, if you're just sort of following your passion, that that's, you know, that's, again, that's not the real work. Um, and, and I think there can be fear because, or at least for me, because there have maybe have been times in life where I, or other folks have tried to follow a passion or a glimmer and it hasn't quote unquote worked, at least not in that moment. So it's scary. And I think I really had trained myself that when things would bubble up and be again, sort of dismiss them pretty quickly. And so working with you to sit with those things and pay attention to them and maybe draw about them or write about them or walk it out while I'm considering them um, and just giving them some space to breathe and emerge and grow was so powerful. And to not have it be tied again to a particular outcome. Like it didn't have to be, I have this glimmer of an interest, therefore it's going to mean this job or this career path just to let it be its own thing. And who knows, like maybe it would open up various doors or paths, but also just allowing it to be this beautiful growing thing instead of squashing it immediately. That was such the anchor and such the, and I don't even know if anchor, it was more of like the way of rooting in and, and then emerging out. Mm, that's so beautifully said. Thank you. Yeah. And so one of those glimmers has become something I <laughs> yeah. am very excited about. Can you, and I feel like this came up just in exactly, I mean, I want to hear what it was like for you, but from my perspective, it just like arose. It was just this sweet little thing that arose that like yeah. you may not have noticed, you know, a year ago with your body and brain being how the state that it was in, but there was like enough ripeness and openness that this little tiny thing just like came and it was, yeah. will you tell, yeah, tell, why don't you tell people? So. <laughs> no, I'll just keep talking around it. No, no, I love that. Um, yeah. So again, through practices that you led me through both in one-to-one and then in community calls and courses around visualization, I kept coming back to forests and mycorrhizal networks and mother trees and how they care for the other trees in the forest that just kept coming up um, at the same time as a deep desire to continue working in really relational nurturing community. And that is the work that I've always loved and constantly been drawn to is how do we create mutually supportive, loving relationships across all forms of difference in all kinds of ways. Um, and, and just like, I kept grappling with that. Those two things just kept coming up. And so then I would think about, well, how do I weave these together? And often my brain would want to go to, okay, I guess I need to get like a forestry degree or I need to go, you know, these different, like, again, like I need a concrete official job or a concrete path that is somehow pre almost like legitimized in some way. And again, such bullshit, but it was there. Um, and so that those two things kept arising. And then at one point you, as we continued to work with that, you said, well, have you heard of this organization? You sent me a couple organizations. Uh, one is weaving earth, which is just an incredible organization. And the other was the association of nature and forest therapy. And they train folks to be guides in what they call forest therapy. 
And it was one of those moments when I saw both of these things that I thought, these are things I either have heard probably of these specific ones or something similar, but I had never before had the time and space and capacity to give them any real attention. Just like, again, those glimmers that come up. And so actually having a little bit of space to give it attention right away, I realized this is absolutely it and uh, so resonant. And, you know, I can talk more about it if you wish, but the, the basics of it are, it's an opportunity to support people in building really reciprocal relationships with themselves and with the other than human world. And oftentimes that involves leading people um, through a guided forest therapy walk in a forest. And it can also look all kinds of other ways. It's this opportunity for me to, you know, I just, I look to the forest as such a model of how to be in community. You know, it's about sharing nutrients, about sharing information, um, and really that there's this interdependence that is so beautiful. Um, and so I think when I look to forests and they, they are a guide for me, and also we're not separate from nature. I mean, we've been taught that, I think, again, through white supremacy, that somehow humans are other than nature, and we're not, even when we're sitting in a building all day, staring at a screen, we, we are nature. And so this is such that it feels like a remembering of that. And it's exciting because it's an opportunity to help other folks remember or rebuild or deepen connection and intimacy, maybe that's already there, but they want even more of. And really walking alongside people like you yeah. have your entire life that you're yeah. not there to give them anything necessarily, but to make the space and partner, which I feel like is sort of a core essence of you and your presence in the world. Can you talk a little bit about how you're thinking of weaving in you know, social justice and, mm -hmm. you know, um, systemic change. I know you have ideas for how to bring this work into some of the arenas that you were in, but just in mm -hmm. a very different way. Can you talk about that? Yeah. I mean, for me, it feels absolutely vital that this work is accessible to folks. And I mean, accessible in every way from, you know, that people can get to uh, a place where we're holding forest therapy, that it's accessible for folks with different mobility needs and that it's financially accessible and that it's trauma sensitive, you know, so all of these pieces will be part of the work that I do. It, some of the ways I'm thinking about accessibility and making sure that it's available for anyone who might want to be part of this is working with organizations that I've been part of and, and other organizations in our community uh, to offer this both to staff and participants. And thinking about ways, I've been talking with various folks recently about um, how do you partner with organizations to, for example, seek grants so that they can offer this for free to their participants, and I can still earn some kind of a wage from guiding folks through and into and with forest uh, and other, other than human beings. How do we think about ways that we can support people in getting to forest therapy walks. Um, how do we, you know, one of the populations that I have worked with is folks who've had someone die, oftentimes of a terminal or advanced serious illness. And I'd love to offer this for people who either are caregiving or themselves on hospice and maybe can't leave their homes. And one of the be really beautiful things is that you can guide forest therapy remotely. So someone could be in their home and sitting next to a house plant and can really gain a lot of benefit from that in itself. So I'm thinking about all of these different ways that this work itself can be part of creating liberation and creating care. I have also thought about how do I offer this, you know, whether it's some sort of sliding scale, um, different ways to make finances more accessible for folks, for people who are black, brown, and indigenous, uh, for folks who are queer and trans, how do I offer spaces where white people can come in and be together and hold themselves both accountable, but within a container that can hold everything that comes with that. So I think there's a lot of possibility about the ways that this could look. And I, that's what I'm trying to continue to. Sometimes it feels a little daunting and overwhelming. 
And then other times it feels really exciting that this can be part of, again, creating that world that is built on really reciprocal, mutually supportive relationships between humans and between all the other beings that we live with here. Mm. So you are, I know you're finishing the certification program. Mm -hmm. You're starting to build your, I don't know if business is the right word, but like the container, the vehicle by which you Mm -hmm. will do this work in the world. Mm -hmm. And so now that you're in a very different place and like co-creating this thing, what like questions, challenges, joys are like emerging for you right now in terms of your relationship to work? Yeah, I mean, I think the questions that come up are, there's so many. Um, some revolve really around that, that piece of how to make this both accessible and meaningful for as many people as possible and uh, for as many people as might benefit from it. So really centering a lot of my time and energy on that question and knowing I'm not going to have all the answers and knowing that all my identities play a role in ways I do or do not see that I can do that. And also not sort of saying, well, it's too hard. And so I'm not going to try just that it'll continue to be a question that I'll continue to work with probably forever, hopefully forever, really. So that's one piece. Um, Other questions that come up are, you know, sometimes still that imposter syndrome arises where I wonder what, what even am I doing? (laughs) Will it be of value to anyone? Is this really where I should be putting my time and energy? Uh, Is this a, a lovely practice, but I'm not the right person to do it or I won't do it well. So those questions come up and I try to just give them a little breathing space and some acceptance and know that they'll be there. And also they don't have to kind of run the show. Um, in terms of joy, you know, just this opportunity and really built in uh, structure almost for me around like being outside. Cause that's, <laughs> that's part of the deal. You know, most of my therapy forest therapy walks likely will be outside. And so it means I have to be outside. And that is such a gift that I, hugely benefit from every time I make myself even go for a walk around the block. And also that's one of the things that so often gets lost in the shuffle. And so having it built in, I feel such a gift. And I really truly feel that connection with the other than human world is all of our birthright. And so that I'm so excited about the opportunity to support others in accessing that birthright um, and all that can come from that. And I I guess the last piece I'll say is that that this particular framework of forest therapy, and there are many frameworks out there, and I should mention that it's uh, in part based on and inspired by the Japanese practice of forest bathing, uh, Shinrin-yoku, and there's so much more there for folks to look into if it's of interest. And one of the pieces that I so appreciate about this particular framework is it's really centered in uh, that it's a relational and reciprocal practice. So it's about not just humans receiving health and wellness benefits. It's very much about how do we care for the more than or other than human world. And I think we all know, or maybe I shouldn't say we all know, I deeply believe that intimacy and love come from being together kind of in person with our bodies and connecting with the forest, connecting with land is a way for us to really deepen that intimacy and that care, and then feel even more, I hope, motivated to care for the other than human world and do all we can to be in that, again, mutually supportive, collaborative, caring relationship. It has such a different texture, like the nature of the work, like for you and the people there and yeah it just feels like delightful to listen to I can't wait (laughs) to go on one of your walks and um and and I know if people aren't familiar it's not like just a it's not like you're leading a hike it's a very intentional like meditative I don't think you even walk very far (laughs) it's very you know it's like intentionally slow and deep and it's very different than I think a lot of us are used to being outdoors Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. I'm really I'm just so excited for you and just I feel enlivened by 
just witnessing your process and really like how held and supported you were by something larger than us, you know, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I don't know, your process felt very magical to me mm -hmm. that, um, and a good reminder that there's so much we can control, but then the rest is just yeah. up to us to surrender to. Um, so I guess, is there any words of wisdom you would leave people if they are in a position like you were in, you know, before mm -hmm. leaving, if they're feeling that dread or activation? Um, are there any, I guess, anchors you would encourage them to root into? Yeah. Um, well, I would just say that, yes, it felt like an absolutely magical process for me too, working with you and all that you helped me to invite in and pay attention to, including mentors of all kinds, current human mentors, mentors that had passed and the larger world. And I think that's, you know, in terms of rooting in, if someone is finding themselves in a place where they know something needs to be really different is I think first really paying attention to that. And I understand how hard that can be to pay attention because so often we can find ourselves um, living our lives in a way where like, we got to keep doing the thing. And so if you pay attention to the fact that you're really struggling, in some ways that makes it harder. For me, it was harder and it was absolutely necessary. Like I had to really feel it and know it to kind of force myself to make a really difficult decision. I know that not everybody has that same privilege that I had to just sort of ultimately decide I'm going to leave this job without having something else lined up. And I think at other times in my life, I have had those times where I've realized, oh, something needs to change. So I'm going to start, you know, I've had moments of, okay, I, I'm noticing this. What are the things that I can put in place? And so starting to put those things in place where you can and allowing those glimmers to arise, even if you don't know when or how you can uh, sort of enact them in the world or if you ever will be able to. But I think there's something that is life-giving in just in, of, in and of itself, allowing those, those things to come to the surface and to give them care and attention. It may not be tied to a particular outcome, but there's something really nurturing even in the midst of really hard times of paying attention to those things of like, oh, this is, this is who part of who I am. This is part of what my spirit or soul or body or heart, whatever you believe in really wants to give time and energy to, and that in and of itself matters. And I see people I care about and friends who realize that, you know, whatever the current job is, isn't working for them. And so they do that same thing that I did of like, okay, well, let me figure out what job instead. And I have tried to lovingly say, you know, give a little bit of time to like, what is it you're de deeply wanting and needing before you sort of try to figure out the logistical stuff. Um, so that's, I think what I would really encourage is whatever the circumstances, whatever the ultimate outcome is going to be just paying attention to the deepest kind of um, speakings from yourself because mm -hmm. that in itself matters. Mm -hmm. Mm, thanks for saying that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So how can people follow along as you start to do this work? Like, where can they find you? Yeah, thank <laughs> you for asking. Um, so I will say that the that it, I believe this practice will continue to evolve. And when I sort of officially launch, it will be right now centered around forest therapy. Um that will probably be when I'm actually starting to lead kind of walks more publicly, that will probably be say mid to late March. Uh, I will have a website though up soon where folks can start to kind of peruse. And uh, my practice is called Rose and Cedar Forest Therapy. Uh, so the website is rosecedarforesttherapy.com. So that will be more publicly available. I plan to do some kind of newsletter at some frequency, you know, some of these things are still to be determined. Um, but yeah, I'm just really excited to, to start building this community and this offering. And so, yeah, I would love for folks to come check me out and love to start having dialogue and, and uh, talking all of these ideas through together. Mm -hmm. I'll put that link in the show notes so people can click and follow do you want to say anything about the significance of rose and cedar? Because I know those are yeah. intentionally chosen. Yeah. Plants. Thank you. 
<laughs> thank you so much. I appreciate that because yeah, it's so, so important. Uh, and with everything else we've talked about today, you know, one of the really just beautiful things that has arisen through the time that you and I have been working together was um, for me a really deep, the space to connect with ancestors that I haven't had space to, to do in the past in the same way. And for me specifically, my Jewish ancestors. And so Rose uh, is the name of my grandmother, uh, my Jewish grandmother that I never got to meet. She died when my father was very young. Um, and also his grandmother was a Rose as well. And so I had not felt very connected with Rose in the past. And then over this past year, Rose has just been very present and incredibly nourishing for me. And just this beautiful, yeah, I just feel a really deep relationship with that plant. And cedar is the same. I've always loved the Western red cedars that we are surrounded by here in the what's known as the Pacific Northwest. And cedar is such an important tree um, in Jewish traditions as well. Um, and of course, here in the Pacific Northwest, Western red cedar has been a literally life-giving tree for indigenous people for so very long. So um, I just wanna honor those plants and how much yeah, care that they, and beauty they offer. That's uh, what led me to, to name my practice, Rose and Cedar. Oh, I love that. So many layers of depth and relationship, even just in the, in what you're building. Um, Thank you so much, Heather. This has been really sweet to, for me to like relive and also relearn and, and hear more about your journey and the transition and also hear more about what's next and how you're creating it. And I'm Mm -hmm. really, really excited for you. So thank you so much. Oh, well, thank you so much. Again, I just have endless thanks for the time that we work together and then for this conversation. That's just so beautiful. Thank you. Okay, my friend, I hope that you enjoyed that conversation, that you feel a little bit enlivened from hearing about Heather's story. I strongly encourage you to check out her website and her work. I will put the link in the show notes for you. We would love to have you join us at the Summer Solstice Retreat if you feel drawn and want to get a glimpse into uh, Heather's approach and into relating to the forest in this way. I will be back with you in a month with another interview, and I hope that in the meantime you take such good care that you enjoy the transition into the spring season, and I'll see you on the other side.